0: going to be in the future. And and we're going to read that passage, but what I'd like to do is actually deal with the the aspect and the thought of hell and the doctrine of eternal retribution is what they call it. And that's what we're really going to deal with tonight, but I want to at least read this passage where we where we would where we meet it as we're going through the book of Revelation and just let us Sober up to it in a couple of messages here, a little more. And tonight our, our goal is to answer objections to hell's existence. And people object to the existence of hell. We're going to look at five objections and answer those tonight and then have three appropriate responses that really uh, a Christian should, or everybody should have once you realize that hell is a true thing. So look at that, five objections and three appropriate responses to the reality of hell. And so Revelation chapter 20, let's look at verses 11 to 15. This is a court scene, and there is a court, there's a judge, there's a evidence presented, there's a verdict declared, and there's a punishment. And we'll deal with that in particular next week. But let's just notice here, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. That's Revelation 20 verse 11 And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Notice verse chapter 21. Look at verse uh, 8. Chapter 21 verse 8. Chapter 21, verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice, go, go with me to uh, Luke chapter 16, I believe it was. Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this parable. I shouldn't say it's a parable. Jesus tells this story. He names people, Lazarus and a rich man. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. The Bible says there was, and this is the words of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there was a man, or there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, the rich man died also and was buried. Verse 23 is a key verse, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, "Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame." But Abraham said, "Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now, he, but now, he is confronted, and thou art tormented. Beside all this, be." "...between us and you there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from hence, hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence." Then he said, "...I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment." He's a guy in hell that's trying to win a soul. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. There's a, I I read, this is true, in 2009, it was called the British Humanist Association in Great Britain. It's basically atheists and humanists. They, They launched a campaign where, Apparently, there were some Christians that put some little uh, communication or ads on the side of buses in, in London and Great Britain. And, well, they responded, and they raised a bunch of money, and they had an ad, they had a campaign that would put big old messages on the side of a bus. You know, that's, that's a good-sized billboard. And here's one of them. It says, listen, to this, this is what their message is. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. That's what they said. There's probably no God. So stop worrying and enjoy life. Well, there's two problems with If there is a God, it doesn't mean I always have to necessarily worry all the time if I have a right relationship with Him. But there's probably no God. And I'll just, the response that I have and that we should, we should really come to grips with is there's is a thousand things in life where probably is not the answer I want to hear, right? You go to the doctor and he says you probably need an amputation, right? What are you going to say? Either I do or I don't, and if I do, make you better make the case for me. Maybe you already made the case to him like this is killing me. I don't know, but probably need an amputation. Ah, uh, no, I need a clear answer. How about you get in the plane? You're going to go to Hawaii. I'm going to fly to Hawaii. My wife and I flew to Hawaii. That was weird because I didn't see any island between here and Hawaii except Hawaii. And I was like, I hope this thing floats. If we land, if we fall in the water, I hope it floats. And they get the Coast Guard out here right quick. What if the pilot said, All right, good to have you on the airplane today. Everybody get buckled. Uh, we probably have enough fuel. We probably got enough fuel to get, yeah, you'll be pushing it, but. We got enough. We probably have enough fuel to get from Sky Harbor to Honolulu. I'd be like, um, "Where's that guy outside? I'd tell him to fill her up." You know, probably it's not the answer I need to hear. Right? If I, if you're gonna do, go, anybody ever parachute? I know one of my kids wants to. Right? I got a couple parachuters. You know, you got the guy that packed your chute and he hands it to you. Says it'll probably open up. It'll probably open. Maybe. I packed a few messed up before. You say, probably? What do you mean? I want to know it's going to open up. Right? So there's, there's things like that that probably is not the thing you want to hear. When somebody, well, there's probably no God. Say, Whoa, wait a second. I want to know. Is there a God? And the Bible and nature and things give us evidence that there is a God. And that's highly consequential that there's a God. And this God tells us, we read in the first scripture, that every single person He ever created is at some point going to come and give an account to Him. You know, I went to Mesa High School. I don't know how, there was a ton of people in there. I had a graduating class of like 500 or something. I don't know what it was. I never, I don't think I ever one-on-one met my, um, Mary Vaccarelli, I think was the, the, it's the, principal at the time. I don't think I ever met with her one-on-one. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But, you know, imagine that, you know, God's basically said there's going to come a time where everybody's going to face up to me one-on-one at a judgment. And there'll be only one of two outcomes, heaven and hell. That's it. And uh, the Bible tells us, be sure of this. Well, in the meantime. People object, you know, there's common objections to hell's existence, and and, and, and let us think about them and, and discuss them and reflect on some scriptures here. There's common objections to the fact that there is a, an eternal hell. There's, we believe there's an eternal heaven, that is eternal life with God, and it, and it involves a, a city that He makes, and there's an eternal retribution that involves a hell which becomes to a lake of fire at some point. This is an offensive and despised doctrine. The whole thing that we're talking about, hell, an offensive and despised doctrine. Um, Do you notice this? So think about what's happened. I've read this, and I'm like, this is true. They say in the last 100 years, in preachers, evangelical people, and even secularists that examine and watch American religion, they said in the last 100 years, hell is mentioned and preached less and less and less, and sin is tolerated more and more and more. Well, that, it, it needs to be the opposite, where hell is affirmed and, have, and, and sin is, is preached against, because that's what's feeding yeah. the hell. And that's a plan of the devil. One guy, Gordon Kaufman of Harvard Divinity School, wrote, quote, I don't think there is any future for hell. Yeah. So let's look at this here, uh, some objections here. Easy. I don't believe the Bible. Therefore, hell doesn't exist. And you know, okay, if you don't believe the Bible, then all right. There's not very many other proofs of hell. I mean, the Bible says it. If the Bible's true, then that ends it right there. And then sometimes the earth bleeds. There's hot stuff. Maybe there's something else down there. And that's what the Bible speaks of it speaks of hell being down. But if a person says, I don't believe the Bible, therefore, I don't think there's a hell. But if somebody says that, it's good to answer with things like this. You know, the Bible is the most well-documented ancient form of literature of all ancient forms of literature. It is the best documented form of ancient literature. Better than like the wars of Caesar and Homer's Iliad and all these other goofy things that you got bored doing in school. The Bible is the best documented form of ancient literature. Not only on top of that, the Bible has proven to transform societies that embrace it as a whole and individuals. There's something about it. And not only that, uh, the Bible uh, was affirmed by... uh, Well, let me back up. The Bible is indestructible. It seems like they just can't get rid of it. And also, the Bible was affirmed by a person who walked the earth that history attests to, Jesus Christ, who was buried and rose from the dead. He affirms the Bible. So if a person says, I don't believe in hell, why? Because I don't believe in the Bible. That's a big risk to take, isn't it? Number two is another objection. Is That's just your interpretation. All right, I accept the Bible, but you know what you're saying here? That's just your interpretation. I can kind of generally accept that God's Word is contained there in the Bible, but I don't think there's a real hell. That's just your interpretation, Right? The Bible, I can't tell you the number of times the word hell and torments and fire and all that stuff's mentioned. I can't tell you. But it's many times, and it's mostly in the Gospels from Jesus. Listen to this. People sometimes want to, it's a way to stick your head in the sand to say, oh, that's just your interpretation. Uh, I don't want to accept, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to acknowledge that. Sometimes people say, that's just your interpretation when you say, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Somebody says, oh, that's just your interpretation. And at some point, it's good to say something like this. You know, what did the weatherman say the weather was tomorrow? Ah, uh, you're in the middle of the summer. Ah, uh, he said it was 110. Are you sure? It's really going to be 110 degrees? Or is that just your interpretation? Well, that's what he said. He told me it was going to be 110 degrees. Hmm. That's just your interpretation. Maybe he meant 110 beads of sweat on your head. Yeah, that's right. It's silly, isn't it? In other words, the idea is when somebody's speaking, the common assumption is to take them literally unless they give you a heads up on it needs to be symbolized. And that's the same with the Bible. The Bible is literal, but when it's not, it usually gives you a heads up on, okay, this is a symbol, this is a like as, this is a simile, this is and so when we say that's just your interpretation, it's usually that we're interpreting something literally and somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. Our, our Jehovah's Witness friends do not like this Luke passage. They will, if you go door knocking, they will keep you from knocking on 50 other doors to discuss this passage with you. They'll, they'll, they'll say, well, this represents, you know, the hell represents a man who's just regretting something and, and so on. And I believe even the Mormons don't believe in a literal hell fire, but it's in their Bible, and some of them use King James Bible. Well, a denial of hell, saying, "Well, that's just my, that's just your interpretation." Um, biblical writers. Here's another thing. So Paul talked about Jesus coming back in Second Thessalonians one eight and nine coming eight and nine coming back in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and they'll be punished with eternal punishment. That's what Paul said. Peter talked about the fact that God cast down these really naughty angels in, in times past, cast them down and reserved them in, into, into hell in, in, in chains. Jude said the same thing in Jude chapter Jude 6, verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 23. Jude talked about hell. James 3 talked about the, the tongue is set on fire of hell. The Lord Jesus Christ, as we read, he's, it seems like there's a lot, you know, in Matthew. And I think Brother Dave even just quoted a verse here tonight about the plucking out your eye. You know, if you're just so hung up on some sin and it keeps you from trusting Jesus as your Savior, pluck your eye out. I remember my father-in-law, and I, I, I hope I got this story right. But he said there was a kid one time that he, he had went to visit in New York and he had like a, his leg or, or arm or something cut off because he was messing around a railroad track and it moved and it, whatever. It may have, they just may have been moving. I don't think it was like a, you know, they're just doing some short, slow transport. And he, this kid, I don't remember if it was arm or leg, but he lost a limb. And my father-in-law was called on to visit him. He visited him in the hospital. He's recovering. My father-in-law got to lead him to the Lord. And the the young man, I think he was a teenager, was saved. And my father-in-law said, he said, now after we talked and he accepted the Lord as a Savior and everything, he says, I said very gently, now do you think that if this is what it took to get your attention, it was worth it? And he said, yeah. Having your arm cut off? Yeah. And that's what he said. That's a very sensitive thing to say, isn't it? Yeah. But Jesus says, oh, yeah, even something that sensitive and that valuable, like your arm or your eye, cut it off if it's preventing you from being truly saved and if it prevents you from going to hell. So, oh, that's just your interpretation. Well, the biblical writers say it clearly. We're just trying to take it literally. All right, here's another objection. And some of this stuff, I can't answer every objection. I can't. But it's good to just think through this stuff, right? It's too horrible to think that it's real. It's too horrible to think that the hell is real. Absolutely it is. It's too horrible, but it still is. Look, it's horrible. How many of us have ever been in an earthquake? How many of us, have, okay. How many of us have ever been in a tsunami? All right, that's horrible. Do you believe a tsunami exists? It's horrible. I do not want to be in a tsunami. I don't. That's like gigantic tidal waves coming at me are going to swallow me up. I just get to go to heaven, but I, the, the idea of that, you know, uh, it's a horrible thing, but I'm confident it exists. Fires, the forest fires, just thinking about our guys in Yarnell in the, 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 big, the big thing that we had, the hot shots that all died, that's horrible, they cooked, how those guys died there, the hot shot fire, what are they called, the, the 19, was it 19 of them? That's a terrible thing how those guys died. Well, something that's too horrible, that doesn't mean it's like, well, it must not exist. It's just too horrible to think about. It can't be like that. Just because something's too horrible to imagine doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You know, there are things extremely wonderful that we haven't seen or experienced, but we're confident exists, right? You know, heaven seems extremely wonderful, I'm confident exists. You know, some of you think that Hawaii's extremely wonderful, and you know it exists even though you've never been there, you know, or Bahamas or whatever, some island in a Fiji island, I don't know. There's a lot of very wonderful things that you haven't experienced but you know exist. There's a lot of horrible things that are very horrible that you haven't seen but you know exist, and the same thing with God. You know, uh, let me give you a Charles Spurgeon quote. I, by the way, I'm amazed the older preachers really did not They didn't leave hell out of their messages. I think I need to catch up with them. Charles Spurgeon said, Some have staggered over the doctrine of eternal punishment because they could not see how that could be consistent with God's goodness. I have only one question to ask concerning that or any other doctrine. Does God reveal it in the Scriptures? Then I believe it. And leave to Him the vindication of His own consistency. He's basically saying, Well, I believe the Bible and let God sort out that thing that we don't have sorted out in our mind about goodness. Vance Havner was an evangelist. I think he was a Southern Baptist evangelist. Good messages. You can hear some of his messages on sermon audio. He died years ago. He said, When I pastored a country church, I think he may have been back east. He said, When I pastored a country church, I had an old farmer come to me and say, You just need to. You need to stop. I don't like your sermons on hell. The, the the farmer said, you need to preach about the meek and lowly Jesus. And he said, Well, that's actually where I got my information from. Yeah. It's too horrible to think is real. It is horrible. It is. Number four. Well, if so, I'll get a second chance. You know, if I die, I'm like, oh, it is real. Well, you know, you can negotiate your way out of this thing, get a good lawyer and get some. No. Your advocates came to earth right here. You have to arrange an agreement with your advocate. First John 2 says he's an advocate. You make your arrangement with your advocate. You don't have to call one eight seven seven whatever whatever to get your advocate. You call on him by faith. You arrange your issue with your advocate now, come to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and He has your case cleared before you meet the judge. If a person dies, it's settled, heaven or hell. Somebody thinks, well, I'll just, uh, me and God will talk this thing out. No. God, let me read what one person said here. If one is lovely, he is very much to be loved. If a person is honorable, he's very much to be honored. If a person has great authority, he is very much to be obeyed. Is this not true? Yet God is infinitely all these things. He's infinitely loving and honorable and has great authority and calls upon to be obeyed. And yet we put Him off, the infinite one. God, the infinite eternal one, has given us life, breath, and being. He has put food at our tables, clothes on our back, and beauty around us. Have you honored Him, loved, or obeyed Him for these? After He has spoken to you, convicted you, put the gospel in your ears, held His Son before you as your Savior to trust, yet you still put Him off? You put off repentance and dismiss His calls to salvation? God then is under no obligation to give you any second chance after death. Don't count on it. You know, I was thinking, it's like, I don't understand everything about eternal retribution and eternal eternal life. But it's what we're dealing with is an eternal being and his expressions of reward and retribution are expressions of his very nature, eternal. That's who God is. Objections, so some objections here to hell. Here's another thought here is sometimes my life is an objection to the existence of hell. The silent Christian you know, I might hear an atheist say, I don't believe the Bible. Oh, uh, well, I don't think so because hell, hell's too horrible to think is real. But then my life might say, I don't believe in hell. Do you understand that? My life might say, I don't believe in hell by my silence. Or it might say, oh, there is one, but I really don't care. But I need to be like the Lord, 2 Peter 3.10, where it says that he, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but longsuffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I want to be the one, I want to be one who's not willing that any would perish. Let's talk about this. Three appropriate responses to the fact that, I think all of us in here, yeah, I believe hell, believe it exists. And we should just, not forget about it. In fact, I'm going to read this before we get to that. Okay, we'll get, this is part of one of the points. Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, let them at least let them leap, over, leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Oh, wow. That's one way of saying it. What's some appropriate responses? Please listen up to this. What, okay, so there is a hell. Yeah, Pastor, I believe that. Okay, first response. Make your calling and election sure. That means examine yourself whether you be in the faith. I think it's 2 Corinthians 13 says that. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? Right. Peter says, examine yourself. Or Peter says, make, give all diligence. <laughs> If you, have a, if you have an assignment due tomorrow, you're going to get home tonight, like try to get this ready and get this done, you might die tomorrow. So give all diligence to make your calling an election sure. That means you're saved. That is an appropriate response to the whole concept of hell. I was thinking recently on people that I knew in our, just in this little church who grew up in this church and later on, they're like, I'm not saved. And they end up getting saved. There was a girl. She didn't grow up in this church, but she went to a Christian school her whole life. She was a friend. She actually was in our youth group for a while as a teenager, uh, and then a little bit in college. Went to Christian school her whole life. She was in when Adam and Sonia were in the youth group, and then went to a Christian college, and then came back. and I think it may be a one or two summers. I can't remember, but one summer or one year, she got saved. And I wasn't putting, I didn't know what was going on. It's like, she just came, yeah, I just wasn't saved, got saved. And my father-in-law was a pastor at the time, he baptized her. like, wow, okay, better make it good. It wasn't like, well, I can't, what are people going to think of me? I went to this Christian school my whole life. Well, cut that off, who cares? Well, I just went to Bible college, I was a graduate of West Coast Baptist College. Well, cut that off, who cares if it means you're going to, if you're going to really be saved and have eternal life and she made it her calling an election sure and that's a that's an appropriate response to this to the idea of hell yeah well, i make sure i'm not going there make sure that i have a personal relationship with jesus christ in my heart i've embraced him i've confessed with my mouth i believe in my heart all that stuff yeah he came he died he rose from the dead. I believe that and I've called on the name of the Lord sincerely Lord Jesus save me and whoever does that shall be saved otherwise if you're just mumbling a prayer or you just gave a nod or some kind of religious ritual that's not being saved being saved is personal faith and acceptance and if you have that you're saved if you don't make it clear um, here's an appropriate response rejoice The disciples, look, at you're probably in Luke there still. Go to chapter 10. The disciples were sent out on a trip preaching and God gave them the ability to cast out demons. In chapter 10, verse 17, the 70 says, they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. By the way, when uh, Judas was probably with them, Satan hadn't inhabited him yet, but Judas was not truly converted. But God gave him even the ability to cast out demons. You can reasonably conclude him, but his name wasn't written in heaven. There's going to become a day when people are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I've done many wonderful works for you. He says, I didn't know you. And so, again, make your calling election sure. But here Jesus says, here's one thing to get happy about. (laughs) My name's in heaven. I'm on the register of the citizens of heaven. My name's written up there. I'm supposed to go there. Yep. My name's not going to get blotted out. I'm supposed to be there. I got the earnest of the Spirit. He's going to fetch me one day. And I'm going, yay! <laughs> Yippee skippy, to put it lightly. That's an appropriate re- And you know this last one, the next appropriate response is reaching out, of course, Right? 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Speaking of a tsunami, I remember a guy, I think I've told the story. Remember that big tsunami that was at um, Indonesia? Let's see, no, Thailand, Southeast Asia, like maybe 15 years ago. Huge, I think 100,000 people died, if I remember right. Lots of people died there in uh, Southeast Asia. And there was a guy. I don't remember what country it was, but he was there on the beach when before the tsunami, right before the tsunami happened. Again, a tsunami is when a huge usually there's an earthquake, and it throws off the the ocean floor, and it can come back in a massive tidal wave or several. So this guy was there. He was on the he was on the coastline. He was doing whatever, and he said he was sitting there, and he said he saw the ocean take off that way, fast. And when he did that, uh, a thing came, a memory came back to him. He used to be a sailor in, with his country and he remembered that instantly there was a time when he was on a ship, when, he was, when his country was in a ship off of Chile and they were on the ship and they saw that happen while he was on the ship. He, he survived it, of course, being on a ship. And he's like, oh, the coastline is, or the, the, the tide is going that way and here's the land over here. And he said, that's all he knew. That's all he knew. And he, the village, he started running. And he screamed, there's a tidal wave coming. Now, a, it doesn't come yet. But there's little evidence showing it's going to. And he yelled and screamed and yelled. It's go to higher ground, go to higher ground, go to. And he screamed and yelled and told people to run. And they, I have a little article that says, the man who saved his village. He just went running and said, go, 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 go. It's coming, it's coming. And prob- it's, from what I remember, the, 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 the story is basically most of the village was saved because of that. Get up to higher ground. And they were. And that thing came through, and they were saved because of being on higher ground. And basically what we're saying is people don't see eternal retribution coming, <laughs> but we know it's coming, and their sin is evidence that that should happen. And that's why we use the Ten Commandments. We should use the law to help bring people with knowledge of sin hell is coming. Retribution is coming. And here's the higher ground. Here's the safe ground God has provided. Run to it. Not to the church, not to your baptism, not to religion. We should say run to Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of knowing what he did for you. Put your sincere faith in him. That's running to higher ground. You're saved from the tsunami of God's righteous wrath. And that's an appropriate response, is it not? Jude 23 talks about snatching them out of the fire with having compassion on them, And with fear, snatching them out of the fire. I think that's picturing them getting them saved right before they die. Wow. Calvin Coolidge was our president at one point. He was also governor of Massachusetts. And I read as governor of Massachusetts, as far as I understand, he still had a part in their state legislature. He served probably like as the vice president of the legislature kind of like how our VP does or maybe the president of it but anyways he was part of the state legislature in some dealings they were doing as a governor and while he was there in the legislator in the in their in their their congress or whatever um, he was approached by another legislator who came up to him says "Uh, Governor Coolidge there was this other so-and-so from this district got angry with me and he told me to go to hell and Calvin Coolidge, they, Calvin Coolidge is known as Silent Cal. He said very few things. And he's looking, he was looking at some book, and he said, Well, it wasn't the Bible. He's looking at it, he goes, He told you to go to hell. Well, I looked up the law. You don't have to go there. <laughs> you don't have to go there. And the guy said, Well, okay. In other words, just lighten up a little bit. Lighten up a little bit. But the fact is, is that we can say, I look at the book here, I don't have to go there. <laughs> he that believeth on me hath the eternal life, and is passed from death unto life, Jesus says in a couple of verses there in the Scripture. Yep. So this is something that we just need to come to grips with. I know we know it, but maybe we've tucked it away. couple things here. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, <clears throat> how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He often said that he would. He thinks he will be surprised. He'll have three surprises when he gets to heaven. Who was there that he did not think would be there? Who was not there that he thought would be? And the third surprise is that he would be there. Now, we don't have to have that third surprise because John, and I appreciate the quote, but we John, first John, teaches, these things have I written unto you. Believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. So in reality, we should be elated that we get there. But if we're trusting the Bible, we won't be surprised. I want close with this thought. And it's just, it's um, something that, it just came to me. Think about think about life a little bit. Just back up and think about life. Think about things that are that we focus on that to us are important. Okay? Usually they're things that you see. Now, I was had this thought as I was driving to church tonight. Now, think about this. The, the, some of the biggest things in life are things you don't see. I mean, some of the biggest things that affect our existence. Some of the most consequential, massive things you don't even see. Here's the examples. God and Satan, we don't see them. Heaven and hell, don't see it. But those are massive things. some of the world would say concept. We say these are realities that we believe by faith, and I would say the fifth thing is the human soul. Again, God, the devil, heaven, hell, the human soul. Psychologists deny a lot of psychologists deny the the immaterial human soul. They it's ironic because the word psychology, the word suke psycho means soul, and yet they deny that immaterial part. They they would say, well, that's the personality. We'd say it's personality that's, a, that's, a, that's connected to a, a spirit that can depart and go somewhere. But me, Okay, so think about this. Big things in life we don't see. God, the devil, but they affect us. Heaven and hell, but we're going to go one of those places. And our soul, massive concept, major concepts. However, what helps is he came here He was seen, he was felt, John said, he was touched, he was leaned upon, walked this earth. We have historical evidence of that. He came here and affirmed those massive things that we don't see. God, mm -hmm. Satan, mm -hmm. heaven, hell, he affirmed them and it was definitely confirmed by the time he came back and rose from the dead. That shows he's Lord of life and of the next life. He tells us the way. Just think of this is why Christ is so precious. He tells us, he affirms these things we don't see. Now, we still trust the Bible by faith. But Jesus affirms these things of heaven, of hell, of God, of Satan, and of the soul. And he also tells us how to navigate through life for which we're thankful. That's why we can say, He is my life, Jesus is my life. He's my life.